This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville, North Carolina. Welcome to a Wednesday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio, June 7th, 2023. Thanks for taking a few minutes this morning to join us. No, I've been gone for a little while uh, after the vacation, getting things uh, together here around the house. But we are back, uh, and uh, boy... What a day yesterday, and uh, plenty of baseball action last night, but obviously what everybody is talking about is golf and um, the merger, I guess you would call it, between Live Golf and the PGA Tour, and... Not just that they settled this, and and look, you knew it was going to get settled at some point, but here's the thing, and and this is what's bothering me. And I, you know, I posted on Twitter yesterday that I'm incensed about it, and I am for a couple of reasons. Number one, the hypocrisy shown by Jay Monahan and the PGA Tour is unbelievable. This is a guy that a year ago is going on television and and talking to uh, players on the tour and, and people around the country and around the world saying, hey, you know, I'd ask any player that left or that would consider leaving, have you ever had to apologize for being a member of the PGA Tour? Referencing, of course, the fact that the Live Tour is backed by Saudi Arabia. It's backed by a country that is one of the worst in terms of human rights in the world. This is a country that up until a few years ago, women couldn't even drive in that country. There is, it, it's, it's, it's a misogynistic country. With, I mean, there's no other way to put it. Women have no rights there. Women are, they're not even second-class citizens. They're third-class citizens because men and boys... You have young men, young children that treat their mothers like crap in Saudi Arabia because it's a male-dominated society. Obviously, as anti-Semitic as it comes, there is no freedom of speech there. There's no freedom of expression. There's no freedom of religion. They don't allow other religions. Jesus, they killed one of their own journalists. 
I look, and I know this country. I lived there, and I know it was you know a number of years ago. But I lived there. I saw what these people are. These people hate Westerners. Number one, hate them. They're nice to your face because they need you. Why? Because if it weren't for the United States and Great Britain and a couple of other countries, they wouldn't be able to function. The oil would still be in the ground there. You know, they need the West. They hate it that they need the West, but they have no skills. Manual labor, it's not done by anybody who's a Saudi citizen. That's what they hire the Pakistanis and the Filipinos and the Indians. That, that's who comes into that country to do the hard work, the manual labor. The technical work is done by people from, you know, computer programmers from India or from the United States or Britain. You know, people with technical expertise come from the West. They don't come from Saudi Arabia. And that's because they have oil money. And so they buy everything that they need. But it they cannot buy the fact, they cannot buy away the fact that this country abuses women hates Jews, squashes any kind of freedom of any kind, whether it's speech, expression, religion. Look, I was, when I lived there, I was still a semi-practicing Catholic. I went to Catholic services a couple of times in Saudi Arabia. We had to meet in secret in somebody's house and have a guard watching so that, you know, to, it, just in case somebody showed up. Because you could be arrested for practicing a Christian religion in that country. And they kill people. You know, this is the country, you know, and there's people that would say, oh, it's a great idea. You know, you steal something, they cut your hand off. You know, they, they behead people in the square. I saw it. They stone women for uh, uh, adultery. They don't even have to be guilty of adultery. They just have to be accused. They can't even stand up for themselves. If they're accused by their spouse of adultery, they're toast. But this is who the PGA Tour is now in bed with. This is what Live Golf was. This is what all the people like Phil Mickelson and Brooks Kepka and all these people that took the money from Saudi Arabia, that's who they were in bed with. The Saudis were behind, or not completely behind, but they were complicit in the 9-11 attacks. And that's who Live Golf was in bed with. And now the PGA Tour is in that same bed after saying they would never do that. And what's worse, this deal that came down took everyone by surprise, including the PGA players. Nobody knew this was coming. You've got people like Rory McIlroy, like Tiger Woods, countless names. 
that stayed with the PGA Tour, that turned down huge amounts of money to jump to the Live Tour, they said no to keep loyal to the PGA Tour. Well, guess what happened yesterday? They got stabbed in the back, every one of them, that for the last year has been killing the people on in the Live Tour and saying, hey, you know what? You made a choice. You go make your money over there. You stay off of our tour and go away. And now they look like absolute jerks because the PGA Tour sold out and sold them out and stabbed every one of them in the back. And I'll give Jay Monahan this. He went to Canada yesterday for the Canadian Open to have a players' meeting. Now, of course, you know, conveniently for him, most of the uh, high-powered players aren't playing in the Canadian Open. That's a, a, an event that they skip. But he got blasted, and he should get blasted. So this deal that they cut with uh, – it's, it's an investment group uh, called uh, Saudi PIF – They now own, essentially own, the PGA Tour, the Live Tour, the European Tour. This all now comes under one umbrella that is going to essentially own the game of golf professionally around the world. Now, the PGA supposedly is going to be the one controlling the day-to-day operations. Jay Monahan's going to be the CEO. But the guy who is the head of PIF is the chairman of the board. And they are going to uh, infuse a bunch of money into the tour. And then it will be up to PIF whether they want to put more money in or whether they even will allow anybody else to invest So at the end of the day, this Saudi Arabia group, which, by the way, is ultimately run by the crown prince in that country, owns golf. Owns golf. And the people that are saying, well, you know, the real winners here are the fans, because they're going to get to see all the great golfers again. You know, and and having them all tee it up together. Look, I'll give you this. It was nice seeing some of the, you know, some of the old names at the first two majors this year. But I never lost sight of the fact that these people defected that they took the money and ran. And the majority of them were washed up, were has-beens, or never were. There were some exceptions, obviously, guys like Kepka and, and a few other names, but guys whose careers were on the downside. Sergio Garcia, who gives a damn where Sergio Garcia plays golf? He hasn't won anything in years, and he's an asshole. One of these people that is a malcontent, always griping, always in the middle of crap. Who cares? Ian Poulter. He's 112 years old. Who cares where Ian Poulter plays golf? Go play in the lift. I don't care. But what bothers me 
is that now these people that took the money and ran to go and play for a country, essentially playing for a country in Saudi Arabia, that are murderers, that are women haters, that are Jew haters, that are freedom haters. And now these people are going to be allowed to come back onto the PGA Tour. That bothers the hell out of me. So I don't feel like a winner because you know what? I'm not rooting for any of these damn people. Brooks Kepka, good. You know what? You've won all these majors. You you know what? I I can't see myself ever rooting for this guy. You know, the, the one that hurt me the most is Phil Mickelson. I was always a big Phil Mickelson fan because he was, you know, and, and because he was a guy that played – um, I don't want to say a gambler because obviously he's involved in gambling, but, but a guy that went out there and took chances on the golf course, and he was a friendly guy. He was a guy, I met him at, uh, in Hartford uh, at the tournament in Cromwell, Connecticut, the Travelers. And, he, you know, and, he, and he, I saw him, and, hey, Phil, what's going on? And he said, do you want an autograph? I said, no. I, you know what I'd like? I'd like to shake your hand. And he goes, you know what, man, that's really cool. And I got to shake his hand. And, I mean, that was my path. I mean, I don't know Phil Mickelson from Adam. He doesn't know me. But I was always a fan of his because of an interaction like that and the way he played the game. Well, he went to live because he's 52, 53 years old, whatever the hell he is. He's not winning on tour anymore. But he became one of the big faces there. And it hurt me because I was a fan. You know, just like it hurt me when uh, when uh, Roger Clemens went to play, you know, elsewhere. Now, it wasn't Roger's fault. The, the Red Sox, you know, at the time, Dan Duquette, the general manager, made it clear they didn't want him there anymore. You know, when Wade Boggs left the Red Sox and went to play somewhere else, when Freddie Lynn got, tr- you know, got traded to California with Rick Burleson when I was a kid. Oh, my God, that hurt me. With Mickelson, it was kind of the same thing. Well, these people, you know – Phil Mickelson's not winning. Brooks Kepka may. Dustin Johnson may win here and there. But most of these guys that left, who cares? Bryson DeChambeau is a, is a train wreck. But now they get to come back. And I want to hear what Tiger Woods and, and Rory McIlroy and guys like that have to say that turned down money, that stayed loyal to the PGA Tour, that were a mouthpiece for the PGA Tour, basically killing the guys on the Live Tour, and now they look like idiots. Because it's all about the money. At the end of the day, folks, pretty much everything in this world, I guess we, we always know, everybody has a price. Right? You ever see those things where, like, hey, um, would you go to jail for two years if uh, at the end of you got out of jail you'd, you'd get $10 million? Most people would say yes. Right? How many hypotheticals do you hear about that? Hey, for a million dollars, would you do this? For a million dollars, would you? You know what? Most people would because it's all about the money. And Jay Monahan proved that in spades yesterday. 
But the fact that he did this in secret without the knowledge of most of these guys on tour, especially the big names, is shameful. Absolutely shameful. And there's going to be some new big entity that they're going to create. It's going to be a for-profit entity that's going to, you know, be in charge of this and that. And, you know, and, and supposedly the PGA Tour is still going to run its own thing. Um, I guess live will still exist. I don't know how that's going to work. And by the way, the whole live idea, the uh, team golf, how stupid is that? Golf is not a team sport. I'm sorry. I know the Ryder Cup is, but that's a different kind of thing. It's not. You know, it's it's a you know it's over several days and it's match play and it's different formats and but but outside of that, golf is an individual sport. One of the greatest things about golf is watching the 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 man on man battles, um, you know that that happen over the course of a four day event. You know, live went to three days and it's team golf and it's you know I mean it's just it's dumb. But I imagine it will still exist, and they'll probably have some events where there'll be crossover. I, I don't know how that's going to work. They haven't. There's, they've been very short on details. It's not going to happen till next year, so they'll have time to hammer all this out. But I want to know. Rory McIlroy would be would be justified to walk into Jay Monahan's office and punch him right in the face. How dare you leave me with my ass hanging out the way you did? You know, and I don't know if Tiger Woods was really offered eight hundred million dollars to go to live. Supposedly, that's the number that was thrown out there. But Tiger Woods has got to be—he's got to be beside himself. So this is just ridiculous. I mean, it's just—it's—it's it's, uh, uh, the fact that that a country as as ugh. That Saudi Arabia owns basically owns golf in the world is just disgusts me. Final note on it: I, I look, I'll give Jack Nicholas this. Jack Nicholas, in my mind, the greatest golfer ever to live. I don't care what anybody says. He's better than Tiger Woods. You know, maybe if Tiger doesn't get hurt, he breaks Jack's record. I don't care. I'm telling you right now, Jack Nicholas, greatest golfer I ever saw. You know, maybe Bobby Jones would have been. Who knows? I mean, you know. It was, you know, and the problem is, is different equipment back when Bobby Jones played to what Nicholas played with to what you know Tiger Woods played with. If Tiger Woods had to play with the same equipment that Jack Nicholas played with, I guarantee you Nicholas beats his ass. But I'll give Jack Nicholas this: he he kind of played diplomat here, and he said that he's he's looking forward to hearing what the details are, that he's trying to keep an open mind here. You know. But what he, I think his key is is that he wants the PGA Tour to continue to operate the way they always did. Being able to, you know, every one of these events, when they go to a, a city, they donate millions of dollars to charities in these cities. Some of these charities would struggle to exist if it weren't for the PGA Tour. When uh, I know when the uh, Travelers was happening in Connecticut, I mean, the amount of money that was given away to the different charities was staggering. And supposedly that's going to still happen, but we'll see. But the PGA Tour needs to keep itself the way it was. You know, if you're going to let these guys back in, fine. I, I don't like it, fine. 
But the PGA continue, needs to continue to operate the way it always has in the past. You know, I don't want to see guys riding carts. I don't want to see guys in shorts. I want to see guys, you know, I mean, I know, get off my lawn. I know, old man. But at the end of the day, is the tour going to operate the way that it always has? That is the question. And to me, that is the that's the way it has to be to make this palatable. You know, I mean, it, it has to. So I want to know that the PGA Tour and, and golf as we know it is going to continue to operate the way that it always has. At this point, I mean, it, it, you know, they're taking the blood money. We already know that. So it is what it is. But it's wrong is what it is. And the other big losers in this, by the way, the lawyers. Because all the lawsuits that were going on between these two, uh, you know, the entities between Live and the PGA Tour have now been dropped. So there's a lot of lawyers that were looking forward to getting Boku dollars that have now been shut out. So, uh, okay, rant over. But I just, you know, stay tuned. We'll find out the details as we go on. I just have to pray to God that this doesn't turn out to be uh, a disaster. You know, and, and the fact that, that they are now in bed with Saudi Arabia, a country that was, you know, uh, complicit in 9-11, that was complicit in the murdering of a, a journalist that keeps women down in their country, that, that, that just doesn't allow any kind of freedom at all. And as I said, I saw it firsthand. It, it just, it's sickening. Sickening. Uh, we're going to take a break in a minute, but a couple of other notes before we do that. Uh, word came down yesterday, Jacob deGrom is going to have season-ending surgery. He's going to have elbow surgery. They have, they have stopped. A lot of people have thrown out the word Tommy John surgery. Um, that is still to be determined. Um, the Rangers yesterday actually said, when general manager Chris Young said, hey, you know, we don't know uh, exactly what the damage is until the operation is performed next week. But what we know is is that he has not made any progress. And as a matter of fact, they said there's, they've, they, there is some damage to the ligament. But whether it's a full-blown uh, UCL replacement, which is what Tommy John surgery is, uh, we'll see. If that is the case, uh, 12 to 15 months. And the Rangers said, well, you know, the hope is is that if, 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 if it is worst-case scenario, that he's back uh, towards the end of next year. It's just a shame. You know, but look, the Rangers signed him to a five-year, $185 million deal. They knew what they were getting into. They knew there was a chance that this was going to happen, um, and it did. And look, uh, he's 35 years old, and... When healthy, he is the best pitcher on the planet. I don't. He's better than anybody. He's better than Verlander, Scherzer, anybody you want to throw out there when he's healthy. The problem is he hasn't been healthy for the last few years. Made six starts this year. His team won every one of them. He had an ERA of about two and a half, 45 strikeouts and only four walks. I mean, he's just, you know, been incredible when healthy. Uh, so that's a big blow for the Texas Rangers. Now the good news is the Rangers, you know, are 20 games over 500. So 
but obviously, you know, a big piece of their offseason uh, has just gone down for the rest of the year, and uh, that's a tough one. Not just for not just for the Rangers, but for Jacob Degrom. I feel bad for him. Uh, Aaron Judge headed to the DL for the second time this year. Um, you know, look, uh, you know how I feel about the Yankees, but I will say this: um, Judge is one of the best players around. You know, look, uh, the, the, not just offensively. You know, he's a great defensive player too. He's got a cannon for an arm, and you. He, he injured a, a ligament in his toe, making an incredible catch. You probably saw the uh, video uh, against the Dodgers on Saturday. He crashed into the outfield fence, actually went through the fence, uh, catching a ball hit by J.D. Martinez and uh, hurt himself. And so he's probably going to be down for a couple of weeks. The good news is there's no fracture, but they said he's probably going to be out uh, for a couple of weeks. It's the eighth time. Uh, since he made his debut in 2016 that he's been on the injured list. Uh, he's already missed 10 games this year with a with a hip issue. Uh, here's the bottom line. Yankees are 30-19 and 19 when he plays. They're 6-7 and seven when he doesn't. They average five runs a game when he plays. They average three and a half runs a game when he doesn't play. That's all you need to know. And since he came back from the hip injury, by the way, he's been hitting 326. He's hit 13 home runs since coming back from that hip injury. 13 of his 19. So uh, they need him. The good news, I guess, if you're a Red Sox fan, is the Red Sox play the Yankees this weekend, and he won't be there. I'll try not to cry. 31 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call. On Sports Country. It's 34 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on a Wednesday morning. Glad you could spend some time with us. Um, the Red Sox, boy, did they need that one last night. It is. Uh, it has been a rough couple of weeks in Boston. Remember back in early May when the Red Sox were scoring runs like nobody's business and everybody was saying, hey, you know, don't worry about the Red Sox. They're going to be able to score a lot of runs. Everything's going to be fine. You know, they'll overcome the pitching issues, yada, yada, yada. Well, I mean, the Red Sox have just, they have, uh, lately they couldn't hit water if they fell out of a rowboat. It's been bad. Um, and last night, for the majority of the game, it was the same thing. And it, it looked like they were going to waste an incredible pitching performance by James Paxton. But I'll tell you what, you have got to be overjoyed at the way James Paxton has pitched uh, coming back from that injury from last year. You know, he's had, uh, you know, a couple of outings where he wasn't great. But he's made five starts, and he's got an ERA of under four. He's given up fewer walks than innings pitched. He has struck out 36 guys in 26 innings. Uh, You could not ask for much more. And last night... With a bullpen that was taxed to the max, Paxton goes out and throws seven innings, six hits, two runs. He struck out nine, only walked two, threw 106 pitches. Um, and yet he left the game at the end of seven, and his team is losing two to one because the Red Sox couldn't do a damn thing. They had, I think, three hits. 
So, you know, and, and look, Paxton gave up two runs in the first inning, and I'm like, oh, here we go again. And he just got better and better and better as the game went along. Well, then, hallelujah, the eighth inning came. And things all of a sudden started looking up. The Red Sox at one point had six straight batters reach base in the eighth inning. They end up scoring four runs in the inning, and they end up winning the game. They have to hang on for dear life because the bullpen (laughs) tried to give it away. Chris Martin came out of the bullpen in the eighth inning and gave up four hits and a couple of runs. But Kenley Jansen with a 1-2-3 ninth picks up uh, his 13th save of the season, and the Red Sox win it 5-4. Um, look, is, is everything perfect with this team? No, but they have been getting decent pitching. You know, we're going to supposedly going to get some more news on Chris sale next week. Um, he was supposedly getting more testing done this week. Uh, I have a really bad feeling, a really bad feeling that he's going to, I hope it's not, you know, surgery, but I have a feeling that this isn't going to be a couple of weeks that he's going to be out for a while. They're taking an awful long time doing a lot of tests, and we haven't heard a damn thing. So if that is the case, Paxton becomes uh, he becomes your de facto ace. He really does. Uh, and, and you know, look, they've been getting good pitching from Brian Bayo. Um you know, there's no doubt about that. You know, the problem is, is that Tanner Houck, up and down, you know, he'll look good for a couple of innings and he'll look like horsecraft for a couple of innings. Uh, same issue with Garrett Whitlock. Consistency has been the problem. And now who fills that that sale spot in the lineup? Cutter Crawford's going to get a start on Wednesday, but he's only going to go three or four innings. They're not ready to stretch him out and say, well, we're just going to give him the rotation spot, they're keeping him in the bullpen, it looks like, or as a bullpen option. <coughs> so, you know, I, I don't know what they're going to do as far as that goes, but Paxton becomes huge. And if he can continue to give them what he gave them last night, you'll take that every day of the week and twice on Sundays. Uh, the Red Sox did call up Chris Murphy uh, from AAA, and supposedly he's going to go in the bullpen in a multi-inning role. Look, this is an odd call-up for me. I don't really get this. You know, the problem is the Red Sox don't have a lot of pitching in the minors. But Chris Murphy in AAA in nine starts has a 7-7-1 ERA in 10 games. Made nine starts in AAA, and you bring him up. I, <laughs> you know, look, there's smarter people than I running the Red Sox, obviously, but I don't get that one. Uh, look, he's 25 years old. This is nothing against Chris Murphy, but the numbers don't show that he belongs in the major leagues. I hope to God, if they throw him out there, that his performance is better than what he had in AAA. Because I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Um, the good news is uh, Adam Duvall is going to be back this weekend. He is on pace, coming back from that right wrist fracture to start against the Yankees this weekend. It means the Red Sox are going to have another decision to make. I don't know what Boston is going to do at this point. My guess is is that they will probably 
send down either Reyes or Valdez. That's my guess. You know, but they're suddenly loaded with outfielders when Duvall comes back. They already DFA'd Rymel Tapia when uh, Christian Arroyo was activated. So my guess is that that either Reyes or Valdez goes because I don't think the Red Sox are going to send down Jaron Duran. Look, he's hitting 280. Um, and, and I think he's playing a better outfield. I think, you know, they're going to keep him there. Um, I mean, you know, and, and with, uh, Yoshida playing the way he's playing, he's in the lineup every day. Alex Verdugo is in the lineup every day. Um, so what does that leave you with? It leaves you with Kike Hernandez in center, but you've got Adam Duvall coming back. So do you throw Kike at second base? Does he go to shortstop? What do you do? He's a butcher at shortstop. He's been terrible this year. He's made like 11 errors. But he is an elite center fielder. You know, you've got the DH spot, but that is uh, that is mainly going to be occupied by Justin Turner, although Tristan Casas isn't hitting. Does that mean Turner sees more time at first? You know, they've got – I mean, I guess it's a good problem to have. But they've got to figure out how to rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic. And I hope I'm wrong about the Titanic. I mean, look, they're back over 500, 31 and 30. Um, they needed that one last night, like I said. Uh, they're still in last place in the AL East at 31 and 30, which, by the way, would uh, be tied for the lead in the AL Central. <laughs> that's, that's unbelievable. Uh, everybody in the AL East still over 500. Um. You know, and Yu Chang is getting ready to come back. You know, so there, I, I don't know, you know, Bobby Dahlbeck's tearing it up down in AAA. You know, I wonder if there's a trade coming. You wonder if the Red Sox aren't going to try to package a group here, whether it's Duran, Casas in AAA, Christian Arroyo. You know, it, it almost – you think that maybe the Red Sox are going to try to make – some kind of a deal to bring some pitching back to fill that spot for Chris Sale, especially if it looks like he's going to be out for a long time. Uh, I don't know. But they've got a lot of pieces. The question is, are they pieces that other teams want? And that's the part I'm not clear on. You know, and and with the with the jumble in the standings this year, we have so many teams that are in it that you didn't expect to be in it. That teams you might ordinarily go to to try to make a trade aren't going to be willing to do it. I mean, you know, the Pittsburgh Pirates are a half a game out of first place in the NL Central. They're not going away. They lost yesterday, but they, they had won like six in a row. You know, the Miami Marlins are in second place in the National League East. The Arizona Diamondbacks are leading the National League West, so there's so many teams that are in it that I don't know where you go. I mean, Cleveland's in second place in the AL Central. There's six games under 500. But, you know, unless they're going to make a decision to blow it up, I don't know that that, that the Cleveland's going to be ready to make deals yet. Maybe Chicago. 
You know, could you go out and could you could you make a trade to get a a, a Lucas Giolito or a, you're not going to get Dylan Cease, I don't think. But there's got to be, you know, maybe the White Sox eight games under 500. Maybe they'll think about it. Except they're only four and a half out of first. So where do you go? Um, but the Red Sox are going to have some decisions to make, and and it'll be interesting to see if they if they try to swing a trade uh, with a couple of these young kids and see if they, you know, look if they want a big name, they're going to have to give up a big piece. And they'd have to give up one of their big prospects. They're not giving up Marcel Meyer, um, but you know they might. There might be a couple of other uh, higher regarded prospects that they might have to think about. You know, would they consider moving in Nick York to bring back a quality starting pitcher? I don't know. But the, the difficulty with the standings now, uh, with so many teams being in it, it's it's really hard to tell who'd even be willing at this point to make a move. Uh, the Rays win again. There's a shock. Uh, they shut out the Twins 7-0. Zach Eflin wins his uh, eighth game of the season. Pitched into the seventh. Struck out nine over six and two-thirds. This guy in his at home, he's 7-0 and with a 1.85 ERA at home. Unreal. Uh, so he's got seven wins. His, uh, uh, his teammate Shane McClanahan, or his eighth, eighth win, I mean, and his teammate Shane McClanahan has nine. It's crazy, this Rays team. 7 nothing. they win. Uh, Pablo Lopez uh, will start uh, the game tonight for Minnesota, and it'll be uh, Sean Armstrong getting the start for uh, Tampa uh, as an opener, and then probably uh, they see Cooper Criswell probably follow. And uh, the way the the Rays go, I mean, you know, they're going <laughs> to they're going to win again. They're 27 and 6 in the trop. 17 and 13 on the road, but they are 27 and 6 in that dump of a ballpark in Tampa. Unbelievable. Uh, Yankees lose yesterday. 3 2. Lucas Giolito, six shutout in, or hitless innings, I should say. Um, and Liam Hendricks picks up his first save since coming back uh, from cancer treatment. Uh, what a great story he is. I mean, I probably saw that uh, last week. He comes back, first pitch he throws is a strike, and the, just the emotions. Uh, Coming back, this is a guy that, you know, wasn't feeling great and goes in, and next thing you know, he finds out he's got, like, stage three cancer, and, and now he's back pitching again. So good for him. Uh, picks up the save last night, and uh, the White Sox <laughs> with a rare win uh, as they knock off the Yankees. The Yankees now seven and a half games behind Tampa Bay. Uh, Lance Lynn is going to get the start for the White Sox tonight, and Lynn's looking to turn around. He has been brutal, absolutely brutal, four and six with a 6.55 ERA. It is 46 minutes past the hour. We're going to take one more break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 48 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on a Wednesday morning. Uh, the Toronto Blue Jays win last night. They beat the Houston Astros 5-1. to one. The Astros a uh, little bit of a slide. Jose Altuve Missed the game for the Astros last night, his fourth straight game. He's got a sore right oblique. Uh, Of course, he missed the uh, good part of the uh, season already uh, with that thumb that he hurt in the World Baseball Classic, and then uh, uh, he has been out for the last four games. They scored just one run. Kevin Gaussman last night, uh, phenomenal. Struck out 13, didn't walk anybody. Seven innings, four hits, just one run. Uh, lowered his ERA to 2.63. That's a career high, by the way. Uh, he is the American League strikeout leader right now. 
uh, with 113 uh, on the season. Um, unbelievable. I mean, Jeremy Pena, Alex Bregman are going to be seeing him in their nightmares. They each uh, struck out three times against Gaussman last night. So the Blue Jays win 5-1. to one. That puts them uh, now nine and a half back. They're six games over 500 or three and a half or two and a half ahead of the Red Sox, uh, who sit in last place. But uh, uh, Toronto needed that one last night, and uh, they will send out uh, uh, Chris Bassett, who is off the paternity list, to pitch tonight. Um, the other news out of Toronto was that they sent down yesterday Alec Manoa, their highly thought of young pitcher to the minor leagues. Uh, not only to the minor leagues, they sent him down to rookie ball to the Florida Complex League. This is a guy that was a Cy Young Award finalist last year. Right? He was 16-7 and seven last year with a 2-2-4 ERA in 31 starts. This year, one and seven with a six three six ERA. Um, of course, you know he got into that little bit of a spat with uh, Alex Verdugo, who said he didn't like the way that Manoa went about his business. You know, screaming and you know uh, when striking people out and showing people up, yada yada yada. Um, but whatever is wrong with Manoa, it, the Blue Jays need to fix it, obviously. Now, if you'll remember a number of years ago, and, you know, I don't remember how long ago, but obviously it was a long time ago because uh, Hall of Famer, the late Roy Halladay, <clears throat> at one point in his career was struggling badly. And he did the exact same thing where he was sent back to rookie ball. Now, I don't remember if it was when he was with Toronto or whether it was when he was with Philadelphia. I think it was when he was with the Phillies. And he was struggling mightily. And he went down to rookie ball and spent a couple, three weeks down there, came back, and was a completely different pitcher. Completely. Night and day. And... You could make the argument that whatever it was that he did saved his career. Actually, I think now that I, now that I look back on it, I'm pretty sure it was when he was with the Blue Jays. And I can't remember what year it was, but he figured it out. And after that, he ended up, having an incredible career, won over 200 games in the Hall of Fame. Um, so there's a good chance that they're going to figure out what's wrong with Manoa down there, whether it's mechanical, whether it's mental, whatever it is. You know, maybe maybe Alex Verdugo got into his head. You know, I mean, you hate to think that that's the case, but, you know, maybe that, that spat with uh, Verdugo threw him off. So, uh, but that was big news, and there was a lot of people in the American League East not hap not sad to see that happen, although they may not feel real good when he figures it out and comes back. But uh, so Manoa down in the minor leagues trying to, uh, to get himself right. The Orioles lose yesterday to the Brewers. They lose 4-3. Uh, so they remain in second place, um, but uh, they fall last night uh, in 10 innings. Austin Voth gives up the uh, – 
eventual winning run in the 10th inning. And uh, the Brewers stay in first place in the National League Central, a half a game ahead of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, the Orioles are five and a half back of Tampa now uh, and have struggled a bit lately. They have lost six of their last ten, uh, but that was a tough one last night, no question about it. Uh, speaking of tough ones, the Braves come back to beat the Mets last night. The Mets led this game 4-1, to one, and I watched it as uh, things started coming apart very quickly. Carlos Carrasco got the start for the Mets, and he was cruising. Uh, first four innings, he was great. And then the fifth came, and the wheels started to fall off, and they fell off very, very quickly. Uh, and uh, bullpen can't hold it, and uh, they end up losing the game to the Braves. Bryce Elder didn't get off to a great start, uh, gave up a couple of home runs, one to, uh, uh, I believe, Pete Alonzo hit one last night. I can't remember who the other I think it might have been Francisco Lindor. Um, but Elder settles down and picks up his fourth win of the season. This is a guy that had been leading the National League in ERA. He gives up four runs over six innings, but he still has a 2-2-6 uh, ERA after that win last night. And the Atlanta Braves now uh, three games clear of Miami in the National League East. The Mets six and a half back, a game under five hundred. And look, um, injuries have been a problem to the pitching staff, no question about that. Uh, but at some point, somebody is going to pay the price for what's going on with the Mets. So, I mean, you know, whether it's Buck Showalter, whether it is the general manager, the amount of money that Steve Cohen has paid for this team this year and to be one game under 500 uh, 40% of the way through the season, that's got to be a tough one for Cohen to swallow. Uh, the Rangers win again despite getting the news on uh, Jacob deGrom yesterday. They beat the Cardinals 6-4. Marcus Semien now with a 25-game hitting streak. That's the longest of his career. It's the third longest, I believe, in Ranger history. Um, second longest, I'm sorry. It matched uh, Ian Kinsler did it in 2008, Michael Young in 2005. Gabe Kapler holds the team record. He uh, hit in 28 straight games. Uh, but uh, Semien... Uh, extends the streak last night, and the Rangers now 20 games over 500. 20 games over 500. Uh, that is the first time that they have been that far over 500 in a long, long time. Uh, I want to say last time they threw 60 games, they were this far over 500, I think was... Mm, God, it came 2019, maybe something like that. Uh, but uh, a big win for the Rangers yesterday. They'll look for the series sweep tonight. John Gray, uh, former Colorado Rocky, gets the start six and one with a two five one ERA. Jack Flaherty is going to get the start for the St. Louis Cardinals, who looked like they were starting to turn things around, but uh, struggling again. They have lost five in a row, eight of ten, and they are now twenty five and thirty seven on the season. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. We leave you this morning with some music from Chris Christopherson. I just saw part of the highlights of Willie Nelson's 90th birthday party, and they had Chris Christopherson there uh, singing uh, a, a couple of duets. And uh, he's in his mid-80s and not in good health, and it was really sad to see one of the great songwriters in history. Um, and... Uh, uh, 
you look at him and you go, he's closer. He's younger than Willie, and he's closer to going out than Willie is. Uh, but uh, really sad to see. But uh, uh, I'm going to leave you with some music from Chris. It's called To Beat the Devil. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.